On this exciting springtime edition of Random Assignment, Corey DeAngelis says one thing, and the venerable Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper says something else. Who's lying? Also, which big city school board will not meet with parents despite actual homeless encampments on school grounds complete with syringes and rats, but the school board is like, talk to the hand. And with billions of unprecedented federal dollars thrown at public schools, why would these flush with cash school districts be suing to stop charter and private school programs? Like with all of this new money they've got, they're still terrified of competition? Oh my, all that and more on this edition of your favorite podcast, Random Assignment. Hey everybody, welcome to Random Assignment, and look at that, it says school spending over time with an um, but then, look, there's a thought bubble, of course I adjusted for inflation. Oh my gosh, Corey, what on earth is this? But if you adjust for a 3% constant rate of inflation, school spending actually decreased. If you double adjust for inflation, then that means we actually decreased, you know, if we, at first we don't succeed by inflation, inflation adjusting once, if we just inflation adjusts twice, maybe then we can claim that there have been drastic cuts to public education spending over time. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Sometimes. And what you're talking about, and for those unfamiliar with sarcasm, uh, Corey is talking about uh, a bit of a back and forth he had with a one of the nation's leading newspapers called the Philadelphia Inquirer. And so yep. what is this, Corey? Why don't you explain from here? Yeah, so check it out. Um, I'm going to bring it up, the exact quote. But in a piece a week, about a week ago, a little bit over a week ago, a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer had a piece. And, you know, they uh, included a tidbit about education spending over time. Uh, but one of their quotes was they said, State lawmakers have dramatically reduced state funding for public schools over the last generation. So generation is typically 20 to 30 years on average, uh, but it doesn't really matter uh, whether we're talking 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because Pennsylvania has increased real inflation-adjusted K-12 education funding per student each and every decade. In 1990 and 20. 19 dollars it was ten thousand five hundred and twelve dollars per student per year and the most recent school year it's up to eighteen thousand two hundred and thirty eight dollars per student per year in public schools which is a 73 percent inflation adjusted increase yet you had the philly inquirer um, opinion writer uh who's who's listed on their website has a philly inquirer uh email stated that state lawmakers have dramatically reduced state funding for public schools over the last generation. If you want to see that in the data that I just presented in picture form in a, in a, in a chart, this has been put together since 1980. You can see in real terms, after adjusting for inflation, Pennsylvania spends more and more per student each and every year. There have been a couple of dips because of the recession. After the Great Recession in 2008, 2007, 2008, there were some reductions. But in general, yes, when they say over a generation, there's no doubt. Yeah, you you can't make that claim. And and as I pointed out in the thread, even even if you only look at state funding per pupil, 
the increase is about 68% since 1990. It's pretty similar to the 73% increase in total. So it's, you know, some people could say like, oh, well, it's state funding. The state funding has reduced. No, it's a similar trend each and every decade increase in real terms over time. Yet they claim this. And the latest on this is that Todd Shepard, a journalist at Broad and Liberty, he was previously with the Washington Free Beacon, reached out to the uh, the uh, uh, the author of this this piece, and the author refused to correct it. Uh, and and her defense was that quote, they said that the state share, the percentage of what it pays for school district costs has dropped. So they're arguing that. Well, a long time ago, the state paid for maybe 50% or so of the total. Now the total, now that percentage, now even though we spend more and more each and every decade, the percentage coming from the state, which was not what they claimed, they're saying that. Go back to the original line. Let's see the original line again. It's here. Yeah. State lawmakers. No mention of percentages or share. And then my response was, it makes no sense to use percentage if you're trying to say that funding levels have have decreased over time. That's not true. And I used a little bit of a thought experiment to push back. I said, imagine if Pennsylvania eliminated their property taxes tomorrow. Mathematically, the state share of total K-12 education funding would go up by a lot. But total K-12 education funding per student would clearly decrease if we ha- eliminated local property taxes tomorrow. But that author would never say that that, that would be a decrease in fun- uh, an increase in funding. It would clearly be a decrease. But I pointed no out that based on that No one who read that original line, <laughs> no one would interpret that meaning as to be the percentage from the state went down. The, the, no. There's nobody they, – they, that's – Look, I, I have to borrow from the great Max Eden here, who was talking about your back and forth with the Philadelphia Inquirer and said they're lying. They're, <laughs> like, it's a lie. I, I don't, they know it's they know I, it's not true. Yeah, they're lying and they won't. I mean, they got not not only were they caught, but they won't they won't admit it or apologize or back down or correct it or even even if they don't, it's not a mea culpa, even if they claim that it was a misunderstanding, at least publish that. Then at least publish the fact, transparently, that it's a misunderstanding. Here are the real numbers, but we were talking about the percentage. No, they don't even want to do that. And they could have said, you know, uh, well, yeah, we've increased it, but it's, you know, not enough. We still got to try harder this time. But they're not not doing that. And um, they're just outright lying because it's not true that state funding has drastically decreased for about a generation in Pennsylvania or nationwide. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a ridiculous argument for them to come back and try to say, well, the percentage went down. I don't know if that's even true, but it doesn't matter if the percentage went down. As I as I pointed out that if you, if you eliminated property taxes, the state share would go up, but they, they wouldn't call that an increase in fund. Based on their logic though, that would be an increase in funding even if the total dollars decreased. That wouldn't make any sense. And one other thing I had to point out is the Philly Inquirer was forced by me to correct a similar claim less than a year and a half ago in December of 2019. They had previously made a claim. Here here it is on the top. This was their journalists from 2019. They said that public education has seen, quote, drastic cuts to funding over the last few decades. 
when I first pressed them on this and showed them the same data, they changed the quote to say uh, that there were drastic cuts over the last decade. And then I pushed back again saying, no, it's not true whether you look at the last decade or even the last few decades. So they ended up correcting it and issuing a note, but they just kept their narrative last time. And they just said, despite the increases to education funding, costs are outpacing those increases, which I don't understand what, what they're even saying by costs are outpacing. That's, that, that's more than they did this time, though. At least they did despite so, increases. I mean, uh, let me ask you this. So, so the, the language that you, that you just pulled up when you showed on your tweet, the language about, oh, no, we're really referring to percentage share. Where did you get that language? Was that in a direct, this was a direct a, message? This was, this was a, an email shared between um, the, the uh, person who wrote this story and the author of the Philly okay. Inquirer story. They said, here, here's, here's their quote. Um, my column made, the quote was, my column made the assertion based on the fact that state share of what it pays for school district costs has dropped considerably since 1974. So they're so so, so right. So they're not even. I just wanted to clarify and confirm what I asserted a second ago, which is they still haven't published even that. They haven't even no. published the explanation. It was just in an email. You're saying that was just in an email. They're right. fighting back, and it's like, okay, well, now that you know that your assertion was based on misinformation, are you going to fix it? No, no indication that they're going to fix anything. But what's interesting is, look, the Philly Inquirer editors know that this is false. They knew it back in 2019 when they made the correction in December of 2019. And they even issued a statement at, in 2019 saying, quote, this story has been changed because a previous version mischaracterized changes in public education funding. Education funding has increased over the last decade in Pennsylvania. And hmm. they go on to talk about costs and stuff. But they made this correction before and admitted that they previously mischaracterized the trends in education. So they know they know it's false. Yeah, they know. So, right. I mean this is um and and with the title and, and this uh, picture about uh, yes of course I adjusted for inflation. Every time I post stuff like this on Twitter with the, the real inflation adjusted numbers over time, even when I write inflation adjusted People will say, well, did you adjust for inflation or, well, actually, and they'll bring out the inflation calculator and, and say, oh, well, actually, if you double adjust for inflation, there's actually a decrease. We right. should be spending $30,000 per student per year if you adjust right. for inflation. And, and, and right, what, what you mean inflation. by that is when you adjust for inflation, uh, something in constant dollars, the the raw number would go higher over time by adjusting for inflation. Well, if you double adjust for inflation, that makes that steeper climb. Or if you're going backward in time, that makes the backward number right. That, like you, you can you can. Anyway, the people get it. You need to adjust once and not twice for inflation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So I so it's an interesting thing this argument over money because we're in this historic period where more money is being shoveled into public schools than has ever been tried ever in history. Th these districts, as we've covered in the past in Random Summit, they are not they haven't figured out how to spend the money already allocated. Billions and billions and billions more are being thrown at them. They can't even figure out how to allocate. So so at this time they're being given all this money. There is an, an odd thing is happening. I, I thought maybe this, I, I, I was telling one of my colleagues at Choice Media, this could be the episode title of next week's show, but I guess I'll just say it now. But the idea is like, like 
with all of this money being shoveled at public schools, why are you still worried about choice? You know, the argument before mm. was like, well, it's because the public schools are underfunded, underfunded. That's it. Oh, they don't perform. Well, that's because they're underfunded. For example, there's a story, the 70 school districts preparing to sue Ohio over private school vouchers. So do you see that story? It's come out yesterday. It's the 70 school districts suing the state of Ohio. Why? Because mm. there are, that's it right there. Uh, and so what this is, is, uh, you know, there's some delicious quotes on here that are just as, you know, rich with irony as anything you'd ever read. So for example, the article says, quote, while all public school children must take standardized tests from which schools can be graded as failing, the only private school students who have to take standardized tests are those who receive vouchers. Hines says, the guy they quoted in the story, this does not result in a fair comparison of public and private schools. Of course, parents are making their own fair comparisons, right? Uh, and many of them are, the only reason these voucher programs exist is because parents choose to use them. And yet you have all across the state, imagine 70 different school districts saying, although we are flushed with cash, we still have to stop these private schools from competing with us. It, so, so take that and, and just hold that thought. And then we'll switch over to the Oklahoma story where the same dynamic is playing out with charter schools. Mm -hmm. In another state, in another kind of choice mechanism, meaning charter schools instead of private schools, you see these big school districts now getting together to fight what? They're not fighting for more funding for themselves. They're getting enormous funding. They're fighting to prevent equal funding of charter schools. <laughs> and, and they have talked about lawsuits and they have talked, and, and you know, and so I, I'm, you know, normally you get in these debates, Corey, you know this better than anybody. And, and people will say, well, that's all, the only reason these schools are there is that if they just invest in the public school, that's what we really need to do is fix the public schools by the traditional public schools by investing in them. So um, we have, I have this quote from the Oklahoma story. This is from a Shawnee superintendent, April Grace, who said, our board has an interest in and moving forward in whatever manner to try to protect the taxpayer dollars that are paid into property taxes and the ad valorem building fund for our students, unquote, Shawnee superintendent said. And the district wasn't alone Monday night. Sand Springs, Millwood, Yukon Public Schools passed similar motions calling for the state board, the Oklahoma State Board, to rescind its resolution to equalize charter school funding and allow legal counsel to pursue action to protect, they call it protect local funds. They're preventing competition from schools that are getting, that would be getting the same amount of money as they do. And it utterly, never again do I want to hear a traditional edu education apologist invoke this thing of like, well, if they just invest in the public schools, because always from, from this day forward, the true, the, these, these actions prove that that's not what they really want. They want monopoly. Yeah, because two hundred billion is not enough, Bob. We we need four hundred billion. Oh no, wait, we need and, five. And then eight, and then and then sixteen. And <laughs> it's always more. You 64. you throw more yes. money at them, and they always they always want more. And of course, yes. um, the monopoly is going to fight against giving a cent to children that want to leave to a, a better alternative. And in this you know, case, term, in fully fund public schools. Have mm -hmm. you ever heard the term fully fund public education? Fully I was right. Kids. The operational definition of fully fund public schools is 10 to 30% more per student than is being spent right now. At any point in time, wherever you are right now, fully fund means 10 to 30% more than any amount that is currently spent. Yeah, you hear the same complaints everywhere in places that spend a ton, places that don't spend as much. 
you're always here that they're not fully funded and it's, you know, and then they point to the, the, um, the outcomes that they're getting and they point to, uh, different aspects of their schools. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. You're not spending the money wisely, but that's not an argument to throw more money at the problem. We should probably incentivize the schools to spend the money a little bit more wisely. And maybe your, you know, $31,000 per student per year in DC will go a little further if you have more competition. Yeah. Um, so I thought <laughs> the funniest thing that, that I saw this past week was uh Randy Weingarten getting roasted all over uh, Twitter. Wow, <laughs> so look at that is. photo. She says, so, so she's um, on the way from Portland to Ben, Oregon. It's like a private plane. On the way to from Portland to Ben, Oregon to see our newest healthcare unit, the St. Charles Tex with the da, 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 boutique air. Um, so yeah, oh. she thought she was super cool flying in on a, on a tiny little plane. Mm -hmm. Because well, it's so safe, it's so safe to fly on a tiny little plane, but it's not safe enough to return to work in person. But there's just been a ton of responses. Mine was, "Wait, the virtual tour of the facility wasn't available." <laughs> um, a lot of people were saying it's a private plane, and of course, it's not a government plane; it's a private plane, which is true. But other people were pointing out that the fares on this boutique air were actually pretty low between Portland to Bend, Oregon, which is about a three-hour drive. Um, but the fares are pretty low. Um, so I think a lot of the pushback was unwarranted as, as far as, you know, her flying like a private jet. I wouldn't really call it that. But, um, you know, it's just interesting that uh, it kind of reminds me of the hypocrisy of the Chicago Teachers Union official flying to Puerto Rico while railing against reopening schools in person. Well, uh, from my point of view and from the point of view of my tweet, it wasn't the price of the ticket that was pertinent, whether this actually is a tiny little airline that an ordinary person would buy a ticket on versus a private plane that a multimillionaire or billionaire would own. Uh, yeah, my, the point of mine was right there. So online meetings are good enough for people's yeah, kids. exactly. <laughs> but not good enough for you. If you're Randy Weingarten, you need to have in-person meetings because, well, that's well they're certain. important. You can't, the COVID is going to not affect you, right? That's not too much of a concern. You can meet in person. No problem. Well, and it was, and she was in Alaska, I think today or yesterday uh, as well. So she went from Portland to Bend to Alaska. She's doing a world tour uh, oh, to, right. to meet with everybody because you can't do that on zoom, but it's okay for the kids to do it on zoom. I guess I think the yeah. best reply to this was from Rory Cooper and I wish I could find it, but there's just so many quote tweets. I won't be able to find it quickly enough, but he quote tweeted and said something along the lines of, you know, if you, if you were to put five kids into that, you know, school age children into that uh, plane, she wouldn't let any teachers on it. Right. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> The point being, all right. Um, well, speaking of unions, there was the story about the Los Angeles Teachers Union, which is, you know, it's an odd duck. The uh, UF, the the, the 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 Los Angeles Teachers Union, um, um, UTLA. Sorry, pardon me. Uh, they're they're not they're affiliated actually with both the NEA and the AFT. That's the only one that I know in the country that has <laughs> that that describes themselves that way. Uh, UTLA though, getting childcare for young kids. So we were told, of course, you have to spend this money. Both the California yep. voters were told by their governor, Mr. Newsom, and also federally, the federal monies, 
COVID monies must be given to schools. Why? Because health for, for health reasons, ventilation yeah. for uh, you know PP, you know PPE, all this stuff. Yeah. And yet we find, wow, some of this money is actually being spent just to give a new perk, fresh new perk to teachers, while a lot of the rest of the taxpayers are suffering with private businesses bankrupted uh, all around Los Angeles and California, United States, of course, with this looming. Uh, dire economic uh, result of all of these business closures for taxpayers. And yet, not only no loss of money for a teacher in LA, but actually new money, just free, fresh new free money that they get to, if they have a child under the age of five, they get $500 per child under the age of five. Just, it says for childcare, but they, they don't have to. If their mom wants to take care of their kid, that's they still get the money. They don't have to use it on childcare. Uh, so it's not really, I mean, it could be for anything. It's just sort of a fresh new money for if you have, you know, kids, just here's some, here's some extra money. So I thought Matt know. Welch over at Reason Magazine put it, put it nicely. Teachers unions extracting final payouts before schools reopen. LA teachers win $500 childcare concession. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah we'll right. go back, so, but what else can we get? What else can we get? I mean, yeah, speaking, you know, speaking again, uh, uh, the, the lies, like we're told this is about COVID. And then we find, then once all the bills are passed and then the checks actually come in and then all of the, you know, devils in the details emerge, uh, et cetera, then you find all this stuff, it's all too late. Oh, it's all, all right. Well, uh, we we kind of knew, fresh money. we kind of knew this was never really about safety. It was more about politics and power than anything else. And a lot of these actions over the past year, I hope nobody forgets what's happened over the past year with the teachers unions in so many places all across the country. There's just been so much hypocrisy, so many things that just didn't add up with the public schools opening for daycare, but not for learning. In San Diego, did you see that story where teachers were voluntarily going to um, immigrant facilities to teach those children in person, but then refusing to not uh, provide that access for a lot of Right. Uh, of the students in San Diego public schools, which, you know, a lot of people saw this and said, well, it's great that, you know, th that immigrant children are, are getting to have the in-person instruction that that's, they should have that, but public school students should have it as well. But like all now you mean these, in the migrant camps, I mean, it's not yeah. all immigrant children, not, not just legal yeah. immigration from anywhere. It's, it's the migrant camps. Yes. Yeah. And so why, why, why one and not the other? And I think a lot of, People have seen a lot of this. Why one, not the other? Why have bit private schools been able to open? Why haven't the public schools? Why have the private schools been fighting to reopen where the teacher unions have been celebrating the closure decisions and pushing and fighting every step of the way to prevent schools from reopening? Why um, have daycares been able to open in so many places, but not schools? Uh, so I think uh, hopefully no one forgets what's happened over the past year. And I think... One of the silver linings here, again, is that another survey came out yesterday, nationally representative survey from the American Federation for Children done through a third party. The Real Clear Opinion Research polling found that 71% of voters support funding students instead of systems or what most people refer to as school choice. And AFC additionally pointed out that, quote, this is the highest level of support ever recorded from a major AFC national polling with a sample size above 800 voters. So we're seeing a lot of traction there. The headline of the article point out uh, 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 shared by AFC was 
Real Clear Opinion Research poll, school choice support soars. So maybe that's and the again, one if good some thing. of the demographics are interesting too, it's Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, it's a broad. Basically, any way you slice and dice it, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, majorities in every segment. Yeah, two thirds um, at least in every segment, um, depending on race, depending on. Democrats, 69% support. Republicans, 75% support. These are voters. Not, I believe the numbers for school-aged parents tend to be even higher than the overall population. But they all also asked about you know, union favorability or faith in teachers' unions. They provided some information about how a lot of the public schools have been closed where 92% of private Catholic schools were open with in-person instruction available in September. And then they asked, does this make you feel more or less favorable towards teachers' unions and they found that pe people in the poll were about 1.3 times as likely to say that they're now less favorable of teachers unions than they are to say that they are more favorable of teachers unions. I would like to see mm -hmm. some more questions on that and more polling on that, but I thought that was interesting as well. But the big takeaway, huge support for school choice overall, 71%, biggest, uh, most positive uh, support on a nationwide poll of this magnitude ever for AFC. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, since we mentioned Randy Weingarten, I got to tell you, I'm getting pinged on private text to bring up this quote from Randy <laughs> Weingarten. Did you see this crazy quote about, well, Jewish people? Oof. Did you see this story? This is in the Teachers Free Beacon, Union, right? Free Beacon. Teachers Union head rips Jews in interview on school reopening. And you sort of do a double take. I, I don't really. What did she I, say? I can't even quite. Yeah, I can't. I can't even make any sense of this. Of course, she is Jewish uh, herself. She mm -hmm. at least identifies as that way, I believe. And according to the Free Beacon, it says who is herself Jewish. So, and yet she has this crazy quote. Let's see. I'm pulling up my copy here. Uh, quote: American Jews are now part of the ownership class. <laughs> close quote. Weingarten says. Uh, quoting again, Jews were immigrants from somewhere else. They needed the right to have public education. They needed power to have enough income and wealth for their families that they could put their kids through college and their kids could do better than they have done. What I hear when I hear that question is that those who are in the ownership class now want to take that ladder of opportunity away from those who do not have it. What? So, um, what, what is he even so trying to say? It says, when asked I mean, about it, parents critical of the AFT resistance to school opening. So I, so, so she apparently, it says she took aim squarely at Jewish critics. It, it, according to, I guess this was the Jerusalem Post. So maybe that's the connection. But the question wasn't about Judaism or Jewish people. The question was about parents critical of the union resisting opening schools. And she goes on this rant about being part of the ownership class and somehow she she's i guess what? arguing that that people in the ownership class are are trying to it says take that ladder of opportunity away from those who do not have it meaning have a ladder of opportunity by what opening the schools because that's that, what that, okay that, that, it doesn't even make so so the right. context here is that the jewish community was 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 were they saying that schools, people should have the option of what do you, the, the question was paraphrased as, what do you say about parents who accuse the union, your union, of resisting school reopening? 
What no, do you okay. say to those parents, Randy? Randy, there's a majesty sitting right there. Sarah, Randy, what do you say to those parents who accuse the union of resisting this reopening schools? She makes it about somehow they're trying to take the ladder of opportunity away from people. That's the opposite. By- I, that's what I'm saying. If, if that's families are I, saying that you should have the option to go to your public schools, how is that taking away? It's like bizarre world backwards nonsense. It's like she copy pasted some sort of talking point that was from some other kind of discussion of like yeah. stealing money from public school choice takes money from public schools yeah. talking point piece of it, you know document. It, and she and she copy pasted that into this question about school reopenings. So you're right. It is. Uh, it's it, just it, out of place. Doesn't make any yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. man, that's a doozy for for Weingarten. Yeah. Ah, don't even. I don't even like to share that kind of stuff. It's so ridiculous. But um, yeah. maybe well, she'll maybe respond it, to it, the free beacon. Maybe she'll say something. I don't know. Um, or maybe she'll fly, fly on her private jet to Hawaii next. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could kind of wonder, like, maybe she's starting to be a little out of touch at some point with comments like that. You know, like, they do have elections sometime. Like, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's like Stalin's election or something, like, they, whatever, or Putin's election. Once, you know, like, technically there are elections. I don't know. I don't know what the odds are of uh, unseating a sitting AFT president who wants to stay in powder, power. I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, how often that happens if, you know, if Russian elections are have any more uncertainty than an AFT election. But well, um, and, and at the, any rate. The Free Beacon pointed out that she draws a six-figure salary. I think they could oh, have given a little that. more detail than that, right? Yeah. Isn't it more like five, 600000 without yes. all the benefits yes. and stuff? Yes. Uh, yes. They could. They should have said draws a half yeah. a million dollar salary. Yeah, right. Um, which is, which, that, you know, it's fine, it's fine if you, you know, if, if – if, uh, I don't know how much. It's I a lot to, more fine now, to... post Janice. Post yeah, Janice, it's a lot more fine than it was. Yeah, but it's also not fine because taxpayers don't have the choice to opt out of these unionized systems, and so taxpayer money's just siphoned to these uh, public institutions that uh, fund Randy Weingarten's five six hundred thousand dollars salary. I'd rather have people able to vote with their feet to take their money elsewhere if they're not happy with. Um, the union leadership. Yeah. Uh, we don't, at, at least with Janice, yeah, p- the members can opt out, but I think the true accountability has to come from the actual people who are receiving the services to, to be able to take their children's education dollars to another institution altogether. Because I mean, a lot of the teachers, yeah, like they're getting bullied, right. This, in this past year. So I, like we expected a lot of teachers to leave the union post Janice, but I don't know if we have a lot of numbers suggesting that it's actually happening no nope. because they do get I mean, it was, they the do get some benefits they do happening. get some benefits yeah, yeah. right so um, um, let's see and there's a shaming culture for those who do leave of course too yeah yeah so, um, um i also want to oh since we're all, since we're already on Randy Weingarten she also had tweeted something here a quote from uh, a a union president in new york and she was backing him up. And his quote was, we need to recognize that the state of New York has shortchanged public education for years. Andy Pilata is right, she says. It's time to fund our future. My response is we should fund the students, not the, not the system. 
But Bob, you want to take a guess at how much New York City or New York in general public school spend per student per year? New York State? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'll go 17 grand. In in 2017, current education expenditures wow. in New York State were 25 five. That's just see, I, I assume that, that is that and that's New York State because you just say New York there. Like I would think that the New upstate would average that bring the number down. In other words, that that's but maybe I'm just wow. Maybe if you I'm look just, at uh, total New York State Census Bureau Table 11 2018, the latest data available, $28,228 in New York overall. This isn't just New York City. This is the state of New York. It is the state with the wow. highest per pupil expenditures. It's only behind DC at 31,000 and some change, but you know, wow. DC is not a state yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. But right. Uh, they, so they spent a ton of money and they got the audacity to come out and be like, Hey, you know, New York, New York state is shortchanging public education for years. They've increased yeah. their current education expenditures in real terms by 180%. Yes. Real means inflation adjusted since 1970. What story did you want to take next? I want to do the Seattle one. We've been a little West Coast heavy here, but uh, this, you know, when you at first glance, I was kind of think, uh, thinking if, uh, this was kind of pitched or whatever for the show at uh, the, the Choice Media's, you know, uh, executive levels. And we were kind of saying, I was like, I'm not sure this, I mean, is it, it just sounds like a story about homelessness, not a story about schools, except for the fact that if you scroll down and you find out that the school district doesn't care Hmm. what the parents are saying about it. So scroll down. Yeah, you see the tents and stuff. There's pictures of needles, pictures of dead rats also. That's right, hmm. like tied to a uh, piece of wood where I guess they were going to cook the rats on the wood. Is this on the school um, property, right right adjacent to it on a, in a public park or something? Uh, you got me on that question. I think it was like it on was the, the perimeter. Uh, oh, on the grounds of, the dis of two of the district's campuses. That tells me it's okay. on school... Yeah, Rams. you're right. You're right. But if you scroll down later, this is the key part. Now, those first two paragraphs after the after the picture right there. So um, it says in the middle of that paragraph you highlighted, it says Seattle public school officials have refused to address the situation adequately, according to neighbors and parents. OK, but they and they've and they have uh, school board members have even demanded that the encampments remain. That's the part where I go, oh, wait, the school board is demanding that? Mm. Now it's not just a story about homelessness. It goes mm. on to say uh, the school board members and city officials have declined to meet with the group of neighbors. They won't meet with the parents or the employees or the neighbors who all want to talk about this with this homelessness and these needles but and Bob, these rats. They won't meet with them. So this accountable, uh, oh, it's so, yeah. school choice is not accountable, right? Oh, because these unaccountable they private schools, time. right? And these here, this is the accountability offered by the traditional public schools. They won't meet. They don't care what the parents are saying. Be like, oh, well, then they'll be voted out, I guess. I don't know how long that'll take. I don't know if they don't care if they're voted out and they'll be replaced by people that are just like them. I don't know. It's hard, you know, it's often the case where it might be not even a majority of parents that know about this. It might be a small number of parents that know about it. And they're like, oh, screw those votes. We're, we'll be vo voted back by these other people that don't even care about this issue of homeless encampments or on our side. Anyway, the, when I just read they won't even meet with parents, that kind of set me off. But Bob, but Bob. 
public schools are the cornerstone of our democracy. And they have democratically elected school boards. And so they are super accountable to all of society and the needs of families. And everybody gets along and gets together and they all, they all agree on what's going to happen on school grounds. So what are you talking about with this? This must be fake news that city officials and school board members declined to meet with their constituents. I mean, there's no yeah, way that's all, possible. by y'all, right? This is episode 1 million where I've heard these stories of parents. I've sat in school board meetings myself and watched parents go up, talk in a microphone. You can see the panel of people ignoring them. You can wait for someone times them in, in three minutes or whatever their allotted time is. All right, that's all, That's all. you know, Mr. Jo Johnson, Mr. Smith, whatever. It has no impact on the board. And, and I've often talked to these same parents myself who then explain that the board doesn't care what they say and there's nothing they can do. That's the accountability of traditional I think Seattle schools. spends, you know, eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars $19,000 per student per year. The best form of accountability is give me that freaking money and let my let me take my child to a, to another school that doesn't have these things that I might per perceive to be dangerous for them on school property. Yeah. We don't have to argue. Won't, won't we meet don't with them argue. about homeless they, encampments on the on the school grounds, as you just pointed out. Ho won't meet with the parents about needles and drug using and homeless encampments on the school grounds. No, sorry. Just I mean, the go worst, away. The worst part about that, Bob, is that even if they did meet with the parents, there's no guarantee that they're, they 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 will need to change anything. Of course. Of and course. the parents can yell. The least you could expect. Ninety percent of it, you know you can have thousands of parents pouring into the the board meeting, and the school board might just say, "Well, well you know, vote votes matter. Uh, elections matter. I'm I'm in charge here. I, I know better than you about what what your kids need." Yeah. I mean, just imagine if um, if there was, I don't know, like something dangerous going on in a restaurant one week. And the only way that you could change that restaurant is to, and that you're stuck to, 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 to eat at every week, was to convince the managers and, and, and the board members of that institution to change things. But you couldn't leave and just start shopping somewhere else. I mean, that it's just so backwards. The, the apparent mechanism of, of accountability in the public school system. It's just, it's, it's not true accountability. The only true form of accountability, I'll say it over and over again, is allowing people to vote with their feet and agree to disagree and say, you know what? I, this isn't for me. I want to go somewhere else. Yeah. That's how it works with everything right, that's, else. <laughs> that's what I got. That's on my docket. Let's you see what else. else? Uh, if you haven't read my National Review article on the pernicious myth of shrinking public school budgets, make sure you go check it out. Here I call out the Philly Inquirer in more detail than what we talked about today. And I talk about a, a previous correction in the Washington Post as well, also from December of 2019 where they, the dean of their the Curry School of Education at the University of Virginia made a similar claim about funding being drastically uh, uh, de decreased over the last few decades, which was not true. They, the, the claim in the Washington Post was about, they said something along the lines that 
the funding had decreased since the late 1980s. I'll just pick, pick it up real quick just so I get the quote right. They had claimed, this is the dean of the Curry School of Education. This is someone that should know what they're talking about. Claimed, sure. quote, public funding for schools has actually decreased since the late 1980s, adjusting for constant dollars, so adjusting for inflation. Wow. Uh, after pushing them for over a week, the Washington Post did correct it, and they, they just kept their narrative and spun it a different way, as, they, as a lot of outlets do. But they put this embarrassing correction at the top. And if I can get it pulled up really quickly, here it is. An earlier version of this piece stated that adjusting for constant dollars, public funding for schools had decreased since the late 1980s. This is not the case. In fact, funding at the federal, state, and local levels has increased between the 1980s and 2019. So whatever level you're looking at, no matter how you slice the data, we were wrong. So I'm good on them for admitting that after a week. They should have retracted the article because the whole point of the article was that we've never tried to increase funding for education. We should do that and maybe it'll work this, maybe it'll work if we try to actually fund our schools. And they, well, the how many characters, is, Corey, would it have taken to have just added the actual percent that it increased from the 1980s to, you know, you spell out this particular years, but like if you're going to do a correction like that, you know, add, add like two digits in a percent yeah. sign just to add a little more clarity, but they didn't want, right? They didn't want to do that. Yeah, like obviously yeah, that yeah. <laughs> is not part of the narrative they want. So let's just admit the mistake, which would give them credit for, say, oh, it turns out it actually did increase but omit the numbers because yeah. for God's sakes, you don't want people reading those numbers. Well, the funny part is they kept this article for the first part. That's the first funny part, but they kept the, um, they kept the subheading and you probably can't read it here, but it says, quote, the one thing we haven't tried in the past 30 years is sufficiently investing in our schools. Oh, they but, left that but, there. But, but yeah, they left that there. It's like, well, we, yeah. we increased the one it, thing right? we haven't tried, except we, we, have. we, have, we yeah. essentially uh, doubled it in real terms. So uh, that that's something I wanted to point out. Let's see. I, there is things are still happening on the school choice front. I mean, last week we had a huge uh, wins in Kentucky and West Virginia that we talked about. But just today, the Montana House of Representatives uh, finally uh, fully passed on on second reading their bill to expand their tax credit scholarship program. The vote was sixty four to thirty five. The bill now officially moves over to the Senate. That is House Bill 279 in Montana, just passed today by a pretty wide margin. And they also have an education savings account bill in Montana, and I believe that one also passed their full Senate, uh, full House. So both of them are now with the Senate. Uh, and as far as other things that, oh, Pennsylvania legislators also introduced the bill to expand their existing tax credit scholarship programs. It's called House Bill 1088. They also have, I believe, a Senate version, Senate Bill 1, that will come out soon. It's a memo right now, so we know it's coming, but it hasn't officially been introduced. But this one in the House was officially introduced yesterday, um, and that is House Bill 1088. The primary sp sponsor there is Representative Seth Grove in Pennsylvania. So we still have... Things on the move, we have over 30 states with uh, proposals that are active to fund students instead of systems, and and we're moving along. I think there actually might have been a vote that I might have missed from earlier today, but I'll 
update you on Twitter after the show if it actually did uh, happen today in another state. All right. Please like, share, and subscribe, everybody. Thanks for watching Random Assignment. And also check out choicemedia.tv, maybe. And maybe subscribe to our best-in-class Friday email blast that comes out every Friday afternoon at choicemedia.tv. And so I'm in Florida right now, by the way, where the bars and restaurants are open. Hold on. capacity. How long are you there? Hold, how long are you um, there? Um, Saturday. I go back Saturday. Ah, extend your trip a little. Extend your trip a little bit. Are you headed heading to Florida? I'll, I'll be there with Patrick Wolf from the University of Arkansas, uh, um, talking about one of our papers at the Journal of Private Enterprise conference in Fort Lauderdale from Sunday till Tuesday. So, okay. if you can extend your trip and hang out with uh, I want to party and with I, Pat and yeah. you both. Yeah, sounds great. All right. All right. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you guys so much again for watching the uh, Random Assignment podcast with Corey DeAngelis, myself, and Bob Bowden. And don't you ever forget that if we are sharing education funding numbers, we did adjust for inflation. You don't have to double adjust numbers for inflation. It's already adjusted for inflation. I'm not going to show you numbers that are not adjusted for inflation. I'm just not going to do that. That's a rookie mistake. I don't make those kinds of rookie mistakes. And so don't double adjust the numbers and maybe just read because a lot of the times I just, I say inflation adjusted. So just read that before whipping out the inflation calculator and double adjusting for inflation. Another tip is that the word real means inflation adjusted. So until next time, this was the Random Assignment Podcast. See you guys next week.